welcome to the Of The Earth podcast. This is a place where we take time from our busy lives to remember the planet we're living on, the relations that support us, and our sense of belonging as children of this beautiful earth. I'm your host, Mariana Rittenhouse. Simply put, I'm a woman who sees life where others don't and teach humans to do the same. I do this by leading tea ceremonies, teaching personal tea ritual, and mentoring women in their spiritual reawakening to the earth. I created the Of The Earth podcast to re-inspire your innate connection to Mother Nature, so you can find deeper meaning in life and truly remember why you're here. Because even if you don't believe it, you belong. You really do. Thank you so much for being, and thank you for being here. Let's dig into today's episode. Hello and good morning. Welcome back to Of the Earth. As always, I like to share a little bit of an update on where I am in time and space before we start. I am currently in Asheville, North Carolina. It's so beautiful here. I love, I've been visiting here more often. And it's so green. I love the trees. The land just feels really gentle compared to the pointy, rocky, rocky mountains. (laughs) But I gotta say, it is hot AF. I mean, it's... I hear about it from my friends, but experiencing it this week, we went to a farmer's market and I think I made it like three minutes. I was like, I I, I don't even know if I can stand in line for this, for these veggies, (laughs) for this raw sheep milk. Like I want it so bad, but oh my God, it is so hot. Um, You know, in Boulder, I live 1500 feet higher in elevation from town. And so I usually have a way to escape when it gets that hot. I can just head back up the mountain. It's always 10 degrees cooler there, but not here. There's no escaping it. I kept being like, "Uh, is there a mountain town that we can go to? (laughs) But it's all pretty much the same elevation. However, we did make it to a river yesterday for a dip, which was very, very sweet and felt so good. I mean, bless the waters, am I right? A nice river, a nice lake in the middle of hot summer is just... I don't know if there's many things that are better than that. I've also really been enjoying the birds here. There are some bird species that I don't get to see in Colorado. Uh, Some of those that I've liked are the wood thrush and the cardinals. I haven't really seen the cardinals as much yet. I really want to see one, but I've been listening to their sweet songs And then some of my old school favorites, like wild turkey. And I saw my first Carolinian wild turkey this morning as it walked by me during my tea practice. It was so fun. They walk differently than the ones in Colorado. So I was just like really loving and appreciating the differences. And yeah, the last thing I'll say on these sweet birds is that one of the things that I love about them is, and getting to know the winged ones here is that their sound and their look rarely matches to me. The wood thrushes especially, they have such a beautiful song that they sing at dusk and then in the first moments of sunshine in the morning. And today, I just before recording this, I looked up a wood thrush to see what they looked like and I was just shocked at how small the bird is. They have such a big song for such a little bird. And I just feel like the winged ones are constantly teaching me that there is way more to life than meets the eye. I feel this strong encouragement from them to stop looking and start listening. And that feels super sweet. So I'm feeling really grateful for them. And yeah, I highly recommend trying to get to know your bird species. Some of you may have seen that I share this on Instagram a lot, but if you are looking to get to know birds better in your neighborhood, I highly recommend the app Merlin Bird ID. It was created by the Cornell Ornithology Department and 
essentially it just listens to what's in your area and then tells you the birds that are singing in that moment. So it's pretty cool. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Okay, let's get into today's episode. So today is a continuation of our last episode on freedom and exploring whether or not we as humans are actually operating from a space of freedom or not. I talked last week about our conditioning and our training from a young age to be kind of like a standardized human. And our society doesn't really leave much room for us to get to know ourselves. And it's definitely not providing a strong foundation for our unique expression in the world. I also talked a bit about what I look for in myself as I'm learning to give myself and others freedom. So these, um, the things that I mentioned, there were three of them. There's unconditionality, neutrality, and sovereignty. So when I'm just going through my own life, maybe I'm activated, maybe I'm making a hard decision, maybe I'm not sure, you know, I'm in a moment of tension or something like that. What do I look for in myself to make sure I'm actually acting not through my conditioning and my training, but from my true alignment to my soul, my essence, my human, and my purpose in this life. And as I mentioned last week, freedom is a complex topic. I've even heard from some of you in the past week that last week's episode is something you have to listen to again. And I totally get it. It has been a slippery fish I've been trying to catch on this human journey. It's like, I got it. And it slips through your fingers. But the truth is, for me, finding my freedom, learning to receive it, and also not taking away someone else's freedom has been one of the main tasks that I work on all the time. I've worked on it. I work on it. I will work on it. Um, when I think of this journey I'm on of self-love and healing and wholeness and finding alignment in life, it is always at the forefront. Am I free? You are free. How, what is the free choice in this moment? You can call it unhooking or healing codependency. There's a lot of different terms, attachment theories, maybe. I don't know. I'm like, I'm sure that fits in <laughs> somehow. Um, but for me, I've just naturally and intuitively seen it as freedom and it's something that I contemplate often. And, you know, that really comes back to our rights to be. We are inherently free. And if I want to be free, then we all have to be free. You see, the way I look at it mechanically is that we are living in this web, in this society that has used freedom as a currency in exchange for security. So I almost see us all as like buying and trading in freedom. I said that last week in terms of self-abandonment. We cannot, like freedom doesn't exist in the face of self-abandonment. I can't abandon myself and also be free. And so that freedom that I inherently have, I might trade it in exchange for something else that makes me feel secure. So, hey, let's just say an example. Um, I really want you to love me. And that person's like, Mariana, I would love you, but I don't like this thing about you. And so I can't. And then I say, ah, okay, thank you for being so clear. It makes me feel secure. <laughs> um, I'm going to change that thing about me in exchange for your love. And so I have given up my freedom in return for love. But the truth is that that person didn't necessarily even agree to it. <laughs> it's just how I've been taught to abandon myself, right? So the, so I kind of just see this all the time, like, oh, I'm trading in, or I'm trading in my freedom for money, or I'm trading my freedom in for, you know, I'm trading the freedom of living a life that's in full alignment with my purpose and having a job that I love for the security of money, even though there's no guarantee that I might just get fired tomorrow, you know? So, but we're just in this like, commodities commodity exchange of freedom like the stock market of freedom 
And that's how I really look at the mechanics. What am I trading for a sense of security? What am I trading when it comes to my freedom, my alignment, my sovereignty for a sense of security? So essentially what we're saying like societally is that if you behave a certain way, we'll guarantee your security. You'll do well in the system and we'll take care of you. Okay, and from the original perspective, if we look at earth-based tribes or villages, you know, originally, that did make sense. Tribes and villages would come together, humans would gather to create a tribe or a village to come together to make survival easier. Staying with the pack made sense. And yes, they had to behave by a certain code of conduct or shared values. However, the codes that people behaved by were created to help ensure physical survival, right? So the reason that there was a code of conduct was because it helped everyone survive and helped everyone thrive together. So if someone was behaving against those norms, it was considered poor behavior just because it wasn't in anyone's best interest, including the person who is behaving out of alignment. Everyone had the same interest. And so, yeah, behaving a certain way did guarantee your security. But in our society, the security we're guaranteed isn't actually real. You know, we're not a bunch of hunter-gatherers that share the bounty equally at the end of each day. We don't all like go out and, oh, I collected this, you hunted this, and like, let's all feast together. And one day if the hunter didn't get anything, then, you know, well, they would still be fed equally to everyone else. We do not live in that society. And, you know, just to level set that even, (laughs) if we think about it, like we live in a world with people who starve to death and people who die from eating too much. We have billionaires and we have people who live on less than a dollar a day. We have people who own houses that sit empty and others who can't find housing. And so we don't live in a society that operates from follow these rules and we'll take care of you. Not even close. So that security isn't guaranteed. It is not guaranteed. In our world, if you're, if you're not self-sufficient, then you might not be very well off. Instead of community that bands together, we feel helpless and alone and are constantly trying to have our shit together. Because if we don't have our shit together, no one else has got us. And relying on someone else is often seen as a sign of weakness. It's not even seen as something honorable. I mean it's a tough one. We don't find strength in receiving, even though receiving is such a strength. (laughs) And yeah, it's just really become this survival of the fittest world sometimes that we're asked to operate in. And with that level of insecurity, it doesn't surprise me how much we do how much we give up in order to try and find a semblance of a sense of security. And yet, we don't have to. We get to choose a different way to be. As I mentioned last week, we need each other and we're doing it together. And so that's great. We're already starting. Really important to acknowledge that. The other thing I'll mention is that um, poor behavior, you know, going against the rules, let's say poor behavior in a society like ours doesn't really impact our survival or the survival of those around us. So if we do something that's out of norm, it actually may be more to our benefit. We don't have, without that mutual shared survival that I talked about with the villages and the tribes, Going against social norms, it doesn't threaten us. Sometimes it supports us. 
And what it's actually threatening is the system more than anything else. And so then we're held accountable to the survival of a system that doesn't benefit us versus ourselves, versus our own happiness, our own strength, our own well-being. That is put second to the survival of a system. A system that was made up. A system that's not based in the earth. A system that would not exist if we weren't here to uphold it. And so, again, this there isn't security or tribe or equality in a system like that. So it's actually really important for us to ask ourselves, what am I getting in return for following social norms? Why am I willing to give up my freedom? And what sense of security am I actually receiving? And can I self-source that? Is that where it comes from? What do I think I'm receiving? And is this actually the best way for me to get it? So I learn personally a lot through experience and storytelling. So I told you guys last week I'd get a little personal, (laughs) personal this week. So today I'm just going to riff on the two ways where this has really come up in my life and how I've started to heal those dynamics within me and then also within my life. Because as I said, this has been like the main thing. And so the two areas where that this dynamic has existed the most, and you might find this for yourself as well, but the two areas in my life are work and romance. And these are essentially the two things that our society is constantly pushing us towards when we think of that, you know, standardization. So at a dinner party, you might hear these questions repeated over and over again more than anything else. What do you do? And then some version of, are you married? Are you married? Are you in a relationship? Are you this? Are you that? And again, you know, I was thinking about this the other day with our elders, how they're always like, who are you with? Are you in a relationship? Oh, we need to set you up. (laughs) And how in some ways, in like a very primal sense, that's actually sweet because, you know, it's essentially, are you taking care of, like, are you... um. Are you, are you secure in life? Because it actually is very normal for humans to come together. But when we don't have that energy exchange and we're not free in these things, it has a whole different meaning. And I don't know about you, but when people ask me, what do I do? And if I'm in and my relationship status constantly, I feel unseen. I feel unseen and honestly a little bit bored. So it's not that these things are bad or wrong in our life, but the over-reliance on work and prioritization of romance is definitely a way in which we're standardized through our values. All of a sudden, everyone is the sum of their job and relationship status versus other things that could be of interest and could be unique to you. So no one's saying, you know, or we're not talking, exploring our hobbies or our personal beliefs or how we see the world actually we're constantly told to not do that a lot in polite conversation you know we don't talk about religion we don't talk about politics we like don't talk about the systems that oppress us essentially um and yeah when I look at my own life I definitely had major codependent patterns with both work and relationships so in work I was great at my job. Um, Straight out of college, I worked for high growth, early stage startups, and I was good at it. I was great at it. I loved the constant feeling of accomplishment and growth. I loved the praise. And honestly, I really loved feeling needed and feeling indispensable. I never really felt indispensable in my family of origin or community growing up. I didn't have a ton of human consistency, especially because growing up in Hong Kong, people moved a lot. So, you know, I might make a great friend and then they'd move and then a new person would come. And so I didn't have like this feeling of, ah, I am a rooted, important person in the lives of others. And, you know, because of that, I didn't really feel secure attachment to humans. 
I felt like I was easily replaceable and unseen for who I truly am. I didn't feel like, oh, I've had someone who's known me for this amount of time and really like deeply cared about me. And so at work, I felt like I could easily make up for that. Because I was great at my job, people needed me. And I was good. And I could make a big difference. And there was like, there were metrics to prove to me the big difference that I was making through the growth of the company. And it made me feel important. And this dynamic in my wounded state with with this unresolved from my childhood was more important to me than my freedom. So I traded it in. I traded in my freedom for what I felt like was this secure attachment. And, you know, sometimes that looked like I traded in my freedom for a sense of importance or the feeling of family at the company I was working at, but I made no money. So I lost a lot of freedom in that way. Sometimes it would look like, oh, I made a lot of money, but my health was suffering and I traded in my health for that sense of being needed. It was really interesting. So, you know, it looked different in different places. Different parts of me were sourcing emotional security in different ways or maybe material security. But either way, I was trading in my freedom for it wasn't aligned. I never felt in alignment in those years. And then when it comes to romance, it's just a completely different story. So still still having those dynamics and codependency, etc. But it wasn't based in a communal or familial insecurity, but rather it was the result of some sexual trauma from my youth. And so Unfortunately, this is a story that so many people have probably have likely experienced for themselves. But um, when I was 14, I was molested and it was a very confusing experience. If I had to just say it in that way, it wasn't like this super, you know, it wasn't this, I, I like hate to, I mean, it's always hard to say. I'm not going to say it wasn't this excessively violent, visible trauma in that way, but it was very confusing and yes, very violating. So I don't want to minimize anything, but it was very confusing for me. And I didn't have support from or after that. And so as a result, I understandably didn't trust men, uh, especially when there were unclear dynamics with them. So in order to address this confusion, I became a serial monogamist, (laughs) a great one. (laughs) Uh, I was in one relationship or another from when I was 14, which was about six months after the abuse, until I was 30. So it was like 17 years of serial monogamy. And I think in that whole time, I was single for 11 months. And that wasn't all at the same time. (laughs) So I would go from one relationship to the next. I I was that woman who... Yeah, who, there, that there's like a narrow window of being single. I feel like a lot of times I knew who my next boyfriend was before my last relationship was complete. Um, I would just like feel the energy move like, ah, this is my new protector. And it's not that any of these were bad relationships. I actually genuinely loved these men and appreciated them. And many of our connections lasted multiple years. We were close. You know, they felt to me like beautiful fulfilling relationships but the issue was that there was this deep underlying motive which was to be safe not to be in love not to have companionship but not to be abused and those are two very different foundational dynamics for romance and so I wasn't free I felt that if I were to be single I would be in harm's way for more abuse and I was too afraid to take that risk I actually remember days when I was longing to just date and meet someone, (laughs) someone I didn't already know and experience the fun that dating could be. I felt that. I was like, oh my gosh, someone can just ask you out? That sounds so fun. (laughs) And I do have to caveat that this was before the apps. So people, 
this is not, this was in a pre-app world. Sorry if you never got to experience or see or hear stories from that time. It was epic, Um, but (laughs) it was definitely back then. But yeah, I was just so afraid and I wasn't conscious of why. I would just convince myself that the best option was to be in the in a relationship instead. Like, ah, uh, I could date this person, but who knows what'll happen and this other person loves me. And that love is what's important, you know? So, um, again, the same, similar thing. I was trading in my freedom and my sovereignty for a sense of physical safety that I didn't know how to source in another way. The only way I knew how to source was from a clear monogamous relationship. And if anyone was ever inappropriate with me, I could just say, I have a boyfriend. And that felt really secure to me. Like, I'm, no, I'm not an option. I'm not a target. And, you know, it's no surprise that I didn't know how to source these things elsewhere that I only knew how to trade in besides the fact that I was conditioned in that way. We see these things in movies and stories and everything. Like, people are constantly abandoning self. But these patterns and ways of survival were from when I was a child. And I didn't know better. I didn't know that that's what was happening. And it was from, you know, living in a society where youth are generally, you know, not super supported. That might be a big statement to make, but it's how I feel. Um, at least from my childhood. And so I didn't know better when they imprinted in me. And I was being an adult. I was trying to be the adult that I needed then. And since I was a child, I couldn't come up with any adult strategies. And I have to say, maybe it sounds a little bit harsh, but at some point we need to grow up. At some point, we need to grow up and take adult responsibility for ourselves. Because the truth is, these dynamics will not keep us safe. And healing them unconsciously is a very painful journey. So if we can actually come into our conscious selves and find, weed out these places where we're behaving, uh, where we're trading in our freedom and not acting from a space of sovereignty, unconditionality, and neutrality, we're, it's going to be an easier journey. Yeah, it's going to be an easier journey. I learned the hard way in my personal experience and... <laughs> It was the most humbling thing I've ever gone through. And whenever people will see when they come to me with things like this, I have a very strong and stern point of view. Because we have been really well trained to work within these systems. And if we want to get out of them, it takes a level of vigilance and honestly, rigidity, rigidity towards our alignment and, and like so much strength, just so much strength and courage to actually unhook from the codependency that is rampant in our society. And so I have like a strong line because again, the universe is constantly working in our favor And so it'll make it happen. And again, often in the least pleasant of ways. So if you can learn your lessons easily, I highly recommend it. It's one of the prayers that I say myself before any ceremony, any any rite of passage, any big thing. I'm like, I'm listening. I will learn the easy way. Give me the easy way. I'll do it. And so I want to share a little bit about the resolution of these two areas in my life and where I am now. So what I'll say is by the time I was 29, these survival mechanisms were working awesome. (laughs) I 
was in a relationship. This one I actually thought was going to last for this life. Um, I was at a startup where I was very needed. I made great money. I trained a bunch of people. I had a ton of responsibility. And I had just bought my dream house. And... I was in love and I had my spiritual practice was just, you know, flourishing with tea, all the good stuff. It's like I felt, and I would even think this to myself sometimes, I felt like somehow I figured it out. Like I solved the Rubik's Cube. Like if you think your life is chaotic and <laughs> doesn't quite make sense, you're like, how do the pieces fit together? But you're like, I trust, I trust. It's like, I felt like I solved the Rubik's Cube. Like I shouldn't have been able to, but somehow I got it all together, right? And again, I was, I, it's because I wasn't looking at to what, like to what I was trading for that life. And so from a work perspective, I was trading my health and well-being for a long time. I felt like I was burning out and I ended up burning out. (laughs) And I would say that it's funny because I would tell my bosses that I'm burning out. I'm burning out. I'm really not doing well. I'm burning out. But I would travel a lot and I would work really hard. I would wake up. I could be the person who wakes up at five in the morning, grabs her laptop and just starts going like I was great at my job. I love how I say that that's what great at my job was, but like I was great at my job and I was sourcing it so much that it so so much from it that I wanted to wake up at five in the morning to, and that's what I wanted to do. And, but I knew that something was wrong and I didn't have the conditioning or the training to stand up for myself or to choose myself. I didn't have other people in my life who were choosing me or telling me to choose me. I didn't have the counsel for it. And I remember one of the things that we were talking about at my at the company I was working at was how can we, like maybe we could hire a second person, like someone to support me. And I remember thinking, but if they hire someone else, then they might not need me as much. And I don't want to make half as much money. And I don't like, it's like, I didn't, I was sourcing, like, I have to be the only one. I have to be the most needed. I have to be the most important. Otherwise I won't have anything. And so I really did choose, you know, as I take adult responsibility for my parts in all of these situations, I really did choose like, no, I can just, I can, I can do it. My body can take it. My body can handle it. My mind can handle it. My mental, physical, emotional wellness aren't as important as this dynamic that I'm sourcing from. And I went too far. I went too far. I ended up burning out really bad. For those of you who have experienced burnout, or feel that you're experiencing burnout. I I know this doesn't sound super kind, but it is. I what I want to tell you is it gets worse. It gets worse than what you think. <laughs> and I say that because I thought I was burnt out. I didn't even know. I couldn't work for 2 years after that. That's how bad my health was. I couldn't function. I had to learn how to drive again. I had to learn how to have the courage to go outside again. I had to, the anxiety and feeling that I was dying was overwhelming. And technically, according to the medical system, there was nothing wrong with me. But of course there was. I, I, had, a, I had a nervous breakdown. I had, you know, I went into adrenal failure and it was bad. Oh my God, you guys, there's a bear. Wow. Literally, there's a bear outside right now. That is so cool. We'll have to look up. Any of you who feel what is the bear here to share, (laughs) please put it in the comments of this episode. That was so cool. I love seeing bears. Oh, there it is. It's going out into the woods. It's funny because... I saw five bears that summer that I burnt out. I saw five bears. So that's just, I love nature. 
as I said in one of those other episodes that my teacher told me, there are no coincidences in nature. Wow. Okay. So if you have a, if something's coming up for you through that, please put it in the comments on Substack. I can't wait to hear. Okay. So where was I? Um, I burnt out. It gets worse. I couldn't work for two years. <laughs> um, went into adrenal failure. Anyways, point is that I ended up having to leave my work, obviously. And all that stuff that I thought I was receiving from trading in, I didn't get. I lost money. I lost all the people I worked with. I don't talk. They, I mean, I want to say I don't talk to them anymore. Like they just stopped talking to me. Right. So everyone that I spent all of these years, like really supporting in work and in life and everything, like I still to this day don't speak to them. So that importance, that wanting to feel indispensable didn't come through. I actually traumatized me more to the other side. Like, oh my God, do you mean that I can offer up all of me, my physical well-being, my health, my everything, and you still don't want me or care about me the way that I want you to? It didn't matter how much freedom I gave them. And it's not, and it's not their fault. They get to, they, they get to choose to not have me in their lives. I don't know why, and I don't need to even try and figure it out, but they are free. They are free. And so, God, it was so painful. It was so painful. And I wasn't strong enough to fight for myself. And then uh, the other thing, so, you know, I burnt out, and about six months after that, um, I was on a trip in India, and I got a phone call from my boyfriend at the time who had bought us our house who I you know supported financially who you know we, it was us we were gonna make it forever all the things I finally got all of those needs met <laughs> and he called me and told me he was done he moved to another city I never saw him again even to this day I've never seen him again and in that one Ooh, I was like, wow, I gave you everything. <laughs> like I thought like that part of me that thought I solved the Rubik's cube. It was like, I gave you everything and you couldn't even say bye to me to my face. I wasn't even worth a goodbye. And that part, that one was hard too. That one was really hard. Um, and, you know, I'm saying this pretty neutrally right now, but oftentimes I can say that same sentence even just in my work and in my personal life. And um, and it brings me to tears. It was so painful. And so again, this thing where I was like, but I, I gave you all the money I have and I gave you all the time I have and I gave you, and you have, you're having the best years and I, you know, I look good and I am nice and I'm this and I'm that. And like, like all the things like at work, I made you guys rich. I helped your company start. Like you guys have all these great things because of me. Like, look at all the things I've given you. I've given you everything I've got. And it didn't make a difference. And I learned that in this. I learned that about our society. I learned that in this moment. It doesn't matter how much I abandon myself, I cannot control another person. It does not matter how much I abandon myself, I cannot control another person. And so over the years following, as I went back into relationship, as I got back into work, because I did have to end up like making money again one day. And of course, I wanted to reopen my heart again one day, which, uh, you know, it took a long time. I have to, I, I'm going to be honest, after that breakup, I was just like, I'm done with men. Don't even look at me. <laughs> and I did. I, I, it was good. I had two years where I didn't work and then two years where I was celibate or at different times. But, and I really got to clear out my system and then come back into the world and ask myself, how do I want to show up now? Can I maintain the sovereignty, the neutrality, the unconditionality that I have cultivated 
by not being in relationship with these things that have been abusive, that I only know how to operate through these patterns of self-abandonment and codependency, can I come back into relationship in a new way? And can I give myself enough space and time to see how it goes and to keep moving from there? I was at dinner with my girlfriend, Toy Smith, the other day. She is incredible. And she said something that really stuck with me and feels so inspiring. You should check out her work. It's Toy Smith, T-O-I. But she said, if you're telling me that you only have two options, right? If there's a problem and you're looking at it and you're telling me that you only have two options, then capitalism or the patriarchy or whatever oppressive dominant system that we're in has robbed you of your creativity. So if you feel that you only have two options, your options are this or that, then the system has robbed you of your creativity. And you've heard me speak to this. We are creative beings. And so if I feel like I can either be in a codependent relationship or a no relationship, or I can only be in a shitty work dynamic or be poor, then I mean, like what hope do I have? Where's my faith? Where's my belief in self? Where's my belief in a different way in a new world? So we have to get creative. And when we come back into relationship and we have these moments where we're like, here's where all the shit is coming up. Here's my tension. I don't believe that I can be free right now. We need to get into that moment. And as Toy says, be creative. Bring our humanity to the table and be creative. So I'll share with you two moments in both of these things and then we'll wrap up. But I remember when I was starting to work again, I did not feel worthy of my work. I didn't feel worthy of teaching people tea. I didn't feel worthy of stepping into more of a spiritual world. I didn't feel worthy of creating my own thing. And I saw myself start to speak to, I like start to justify my worthiness by how much I've suffered. I'd be like, I deserve to make money. Do you know how hard it was for me to get here? Do you know how much I suffered? Do you know how much I this? Do you know how much I that? It was like the suffering that I've gone through was proof that I was worthy of my work and my sacred task in this world. And I remember seeing it in myself and just being like, uh, what? Uh, I don't think so. Why do I feel like I have to suffer in order to earn? What? Where did that come up? And I was like, oh, the startup industry, right? And it's the same kind of stuff that I felt when I was burning out. Well, if I suffer more, then they'll pay me more. Or if I suffer more, then I'll be needed more. I can source things by suffering. Suffering is a justification for me to make money. And I was like, absolutely not. That's not me. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I don't want that. And so I really consciously, whenever that belief would come up, I would tend to it and I would affirm the opposite. Where, how can I be free? I am free to make money. I am free to do my sacred task. People don't have to sign up for my course. But if they are, they are free to choose me and I am free to teach them, right? Like, where does it become a actual, like, actually a very healthful, reciprocal way of being where I don't have to justify any existence? And same with relationship. You know, after my celibacy, when I was coming back into relationship, it was hard. If anyone, if any of you have done celibacy, especially for that period of time, I did a full celibacy. So also like romantic, emotional, energetic, all of it, not just physical. And so if any of you have done that, especially for a couple years or something, you know, it's kind of a big deal. You're like, uh, I'm going to kiss someone again. Like, when is that going to happen? How do I choose when that happens? This is kind of feels like a big deal. And one of the things I was really sitting with is when did I want to be sexual again? And I, I did. I have this very strong relationship with my womb now as a result of that. And it was very clear. You need to be with someone who has whose system is really clear as well. So three months that they haven't been intimate with someone. 
And there was this guy that I was seeing. And I told him that. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie. He was a little shocked. He was like, what? And I remember that night when I told him and I was so nervous too because I'm like, I'm a freak in this world where everyone just has sex without thinking about it or what have you. Like no one's going to want me. And, And I said that. But I was confident when I told him. And he said to me, you know, I'm really happy for you. And I'm glad that you have that clarity with yourself. And it's really admirable. And I don't think I'm that person. And I was crushed. I was like, here it is. All my hope is shattered. There's this, you know, this would be, as I was saying, like my creative way. And this is the way that I came up with. And it was just like, nope. And I knew in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to meet someone? Am I ever going to anything? Like, (laughs) And he was staying with me. So he went to his room and went to bed and I was laying in bed and I cried. (laughs) And I had all the stories, all the insecurities come up. And more than anything, I wanted to go into the other room and be held by him as I cried. But I knew, I was like, that's you abandoning yourself because in there, there's a hook. There's a hook that maybe something will happen and we'll take it too far. And then it'll be like, oops, it happened. (laughs) You know, there's that hook. There's a hook that somehow he can make me feel better, that somehow there's some justification that will make me feel better or that he'll change his mind or something. It wasn't clear. It was coming from that space of insecurity. Because, you know, I asked him for relating in a safe way for me and he said no. And he's free to say no. That's the thing. He's free to say no. But I really wanted in that moment for him not to be free. I wanted to know how can I control him? How can I do something to manipulate him to bend to my will? But I knew that if I did that, then I'm not free. Because the second I hook him in is the second I'm hooked in back. And what I needed to receive was his free, sovereign, unconditional, neutral decision. And then I had to stay in mine. And so I texted my girlfriends. (laughs) And I let them know. And they knew. They knew how I felt. And they knew. They were proud of me. And I sourced the security that I needed. And I knew from all that cultivation in both places with work and my, with my womb, you know, there's nothing like I spent the time to develop secure attachment to my womb, to the earth, to nourishment, to support, to, to a different way that it, it felt unbreakable because even though that there were parts of me in that moment that were like, I just want to throw it all out the window and get my way. I knew I couldn't. I knew that I wouldn't actually go into the bedroom. I knew that I actually wouldn't try and change his mind because I knew what was on the line. As I said, I learned very uncomfortably and very painfully what happens when you just rely on these hooks and rely on a system that doesn't have your interests at heart. And I knew that that wasn't an option for me. And so I laid there and I cried and I felt my feelings and I continued on. We had more clarity in our dynamic, which was great. And I will say that doing this over and over and over and over again, both in my work, with my students, with my uh, self, with my boyfriend, because <laughs> that is the end of that story, is actually, it did happen. <laughs> he was that person and we are together. <laughs> That you can, that it's, it's those little moments that make all the difference. Because it's funny. I wanted to manipulate the system and the outcome's the same. The outcome of me manipulating and giving freedom was the same. But the dynamic in the relationship is completely different. The health of the relationship is completely different. Same with my work. I don't feel hooked. I feel free. I work when I want to. I'm not bound to something for life. I'm constantly checking in, allowing things to shift, allowing things to be exactly as they want to be. And I'm still abundant. 
I'm as abundant in this work as I am in my previous work, except I don't sit around, you know, martyring myself all day. It's possible. And so what is freedom? Are you free? And can you, do you have the courage to find the places in which you're operating from a space of, you know, enslavement to the system? And can you have the courage to little by little, piece by piece in a really supported way, start to prioritize your freedom start to create more self-trust and really claim your right to be and your right to be free. That's what I want to leave you with today. Um, Just after riffing on that, and I don't know if I have this amazing, concrete, like, you know, wrap it all up ending And this is probably a conversation that on this podcast we will continue with because it's so important. But you do not have to trade in your freedom for anything. And the comfort that you feel by doing it is nothing compared to how good freedom feels. Don't forget it. So I'd love to hear from you all. I'd love to hear from you on the Substack. I'd love to hear from you through email or on Instagram. But if there's some way where this spoke to you, if there's something that you're going through in life, bring it forward. Let's hear. Let's support each other. And let's find our new creative way together. All right, loves. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. so much for listening to today's episode to stay tuned for future podcasts and new offerings sign up for my newsletter at marianarittenhouse.com and if this episode resonated with you i'd love to hear all about it you can reach me on instagram at mariana de la tierra that's of the earth in spanish oh and if you're ever in boulder colorado you should definitely join us for tea My students and I serve tea ceremonies two to three times a week at my home in the mountains, and we'd absolutely love to have you. You can see the schedule and sign up on the ceremony section of my website. I want to give special thanks to our beautiful Earth Mother and all of our relations for constantly inspiring me and this work. This beautiful podcast music was created by Castanea David Brown. As always, Thank you for being, and thank you for being here. Until next time.